Hello and welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a film, we review it, we talk about it, discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always we'll end with our recommendations for further reading inspired by the film of the week. Before we kick off with the film of the week, Sam, what have you been watching? In an effort to stem the tide of films we've watching that we didn't enjoy much, um, I... I'm going to talk about a film I watched this week that I really liked. Um, And I am willing to be told that it wasn't a great film um, in terms of the narrative and dialogue and whatever, but it was was great fun. Um, And in in preparation for the... I'd I'd like to see the sequel at the cinema at some point. It was the first Now You See Me, which I didn't see at the cinema at the time, so I caught up with that. And I've really enjoyed it. I love, I love films about uh, cons, and I love films about magic, and this was both together. And it was stupid and fun, and it had Jesse Eisenberg in it, being Jesse Eisenberg and Matthew McConaughey. Not Matthew McConaughey. Who am I thinking of? Woody Harrelson, um, being Woody Harrelson. And there wasn't too much Michael Caine, and it, it it was just lots of fun. I really enjoyed it. I must say, I haven't seen it myself, so I, I can't, I can't sort of say anything about whether it was good or not. I must say, right. um, I it's one of those films that, in my head, it kind of sits there as kind of like a how to describe this. Like an airport novel of a film. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. It, it's probably lovely and fun and forgettable. It's... It, and this is on my mind because we're moving house at the end of this month. Um, but it's one of the... And I suppose this won't make a lot of sense to people who live in the 21st century. But for those of you who like to have your media in physical form, like me and Rob. Um, it's one of those CDs, DVDs, that having bought, you would not consider moving house with. It's right. just, it's expendable. But it's a lot of fun. You say that, I'm currently literally sitting in my office, <laughs> my library, which is made up of all the movies that I've ever owned. So I think it's pretty clear to anyone who knows me that I will move with anything. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but people in their right mind, um, but normal people, yeah, normal people don't don't have the uh, relationship I do with with these things. No. So, what have you been watching this week? As discussed last week, I'm still on this uh, alternating West Wing Heart of Dixie kick with my wife. So that's quite a lot of what we've been watching this week. This weekend, I've watched two films. One of which is very very mainstream one which isn't so the f- and both I will say this we often say these are kind of films both of go yeah alright both of these are very good so first up is the uh, I don't know what year it is it's 80s it's John Cusack no, five. John Cusack film called Better Off Dead uh, which is about John Cusack's character who is a is dumped by his girlfriend and his attempts to win her back it is a Classic sort of Cusack eighties high school film. He's at the height of his kind of that kind of power. You've got excellent support um, from people like Curtis Armstrong, Dan Franklin, uh, that kind of uh, 
characters. It's probably more surreal than other ones of this, of this era. So things like Fast Time Regiment High and that kind of thing didn't have sort of a surreal element, which it does, including a famous musical number with some animated burgers. Um, a lot more fight and fancy, but it is Cusack as, as he was when he was young and charming and uh, very funny. And that's the mainstream one. Right. The less mainstream one, um, which I'm not even sure that uh, many people have heard of, is a, <clears throat> a nineteen eighty two film called Koyan Kwatsky. Right. Now Koyan Kwatsky is is quite a well known art film in many ways. It's about two hours long, and essentially it is a series of videos stock footage if you will so you know there's no narrative to it cut together to this slow ponderous beautiful music and it sounds very strange and very dull but eventually you get swallowed up in this world of this of this film that is without any dialogue or characters or any narrative is telling a story about the growth of technology, the growth of cities, the place in the world, the role of nature in our lives, that kind of thing. It's very hard to explain without seeing it, but it is a very visual cinematic experience. It is, supposed to, 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 to throw back to an early podcast, it is a the art film version of Mad Max. How? In which... It's Sorry. about the journey rather than the rather than the actual narrative itself. I see. Right. How similar is it to um some of Eisenstein's films that you were talking about a couple of weeks ago? Um it's it's similar. Um it doesn't employ the same element of Russian montage that has the sort of the intercutting of different images to produce an effect. It's more about the cumulative montage. So yeah. that, that each image builds on the one previously, and you end up with this feeling where you you're suddenly somewhere, and you don't know how you got there, but at the same time it felt natural all the way through. Right. It's got music by Philip Glass, doing this sort of the the background music. Um, it's directed by someone called Godfrey Reggio, who I can't say I've heard elsewhere, but it is he made a sequel which wasn't as good, but it's hard to describe why it wasn't as good. Right. But I, I'm, I'm a complete advocate of this film. I think if anyone has a part, more than a passing interest in non-mainstream film, this is one that is worth watching. Um, I suspect we're about to go from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> so Probably, yes. I, yeah, um, I will give a short introduction and then let Rob loose, uh, much in the way that you did with those wind-up toys when you were small. Um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is the long-delayed fourth film in the Indiana Jones franchise. Legend says that a crystal skull was stolen from a mythical lost city in the Amazon, supposedly built out of solid gold, guarded by the living dead. Whoever returns the skull to the city temple will be given control over its power. You will help us find it. The setting moves from the late 1930s to the late 1950s, so Indy has aged 20 years, although without those uh, powers of immortality that you were talking about before. 
And the enemies are no longer the Nazis of two-thirds of the initial trilogy, but Russians towards the end of the Cold War. Um, Ray Winston, at least initially, fills the Marcus Brody role. Charlotte Berth is a, an upstart companion. John Hurt is a former colleague of Indies. And Kate Blanchett is a Russian agent, while she's Ukrainian. Um, we set up in opposition to Indy, again played by Harrison Ford, who is engaged in another quest, this time for extraterrestrial remains taken from Area 51 Nevada and shipped back to Peru. And that is about all that needs explaining. This is true. This is true. So it falls to me to handle the first element of the review of this film now I think that over the 50 odd episodes of this show that I think we've established Sam myself as kind of I think considerate reviewers that we tend to try and look for the best in most films and try and learn fighting to talk about in most films and try and see we want to like films shall we say we aren't we aren't we don't do this podcast to you know to spear bad films we don't do this podcast to highlight bad films or to take glee or enjoyment in taking apart bad filmmaking we both want to like the films we watch we both want to watch good films bearing all that in your minds believe me when i say that indiana jones and the kingdom of christmas Earl is fucking terrible it is it is bad and i went into this thinking well i hated it in the cinema but maybe time has mellowed me a little bit to it um but also, having come out of seeing just literally just watching the first three over the first few weeks, was it going to come off worse? And so I don't know. I can't. I can't tell you how it, how the viewing of this made me effective. But it was terrible. It is terrible, top to bottom. Every single element of this film is bad. The acting from almost everyone across the board is not good. Some of it strays far too much into comedy slapstick rather than any kind of nuance it is directed badly a lot of the motivations make no sense it's written terribly there are whole plot motivations that make no sense whatsoever on top of that from my personal point of view it is shot terribly it is clearly obvious that as soon as Harrison's Ford character has to do any kind of jumping or any kind of rolls it cuts to the wide John it clearly isn't him and then when you are cutting to him it's it's, it's badly edited that we like, put in the opening scene when he's escaping from the russians in the base like shots cut to him maybe half a second before anything happens and there's no flow to the, the editing there's no excitement to this on top of that you've got this film falling in what year did it come out i'm looking at the now 2008 so we're, we're sitting deep in the uncanny valley of visual effects and cgi so none of the cgi looks right it all looks completely fake, as opposed to the early ones, which looked completely real. They're clearly on sound stages for half of that stuff. There clearly isn't um, Indiana Jones doing the things he's doing. On top of that, the film has forsaken everything that made Indie Indian, made these films good. He is no longer this kind of plucky adventure here. He's the old professor to be rescued on the back of a motorbike. Shia LaBeouf is going to rammed in there for the youth vote I have no idea what Kate Blanche is doing with her character but none of it's good they've brought back Marion Ravenwood the least interesting um, partner of him from all the films 
it's just like they took all the terrible elements of the Indiana Jones trilogy, piled them all together, threw more crap on top of it, and told sold it as a film. Your thoughts, Sam? Apart from all that, you liked it, right? Apart from all that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one of the questions I had towards the end was I wasn't really sure what made this film so terrible. I mean, I, I can say lots of things that are bad about it, but I wanted a coherent response, and you've just given me that. So thank you for that. Um, I live to serve. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, I think the most obvious... The, the moment... I mean, there there are several moments when I realised just how bad it was. There were bits on sound stages and in the interminable action sequences and bits of clunky dialogue. There were times then when I thought this is bad, but the the real, the lowest of the low points of this film, and it comes really close to the end, when John Hurt actually makes sense for two... He's allowed to make sense for two whole sentences... And he gives easily the best performance of the whole film. And mm-hmm. I just had to sit through an hour and 20 minutes of rubbish. And it just highlights for me how how many things are wrong with this film. Yes. I think for me, the film can be nailed down to a couple of things, which I would describe as ego run amok. Right. You've got... The, 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 the twin pillars of Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford and Spielberg, they are the the architect and and the building of this of this movie. Clearly, Harrison Ford wants to enjoy playing the characters. He wants to you know l- l- run about being Indiana Jones, but he clearly can't do it. So we get these weird kind of "I'm too old for this shit jokes" stolen from Lethal Weapon, but not done with any kind of equal aplomb, and then. To make him be able to do the things that he needs to do, they have to employ so much CGI. A comparison there would be when you have someone like... I know he's a couple of decades younger, but you have someone like Tom Cruise, who mm. in the later Mission Impossible films was moving towards his 50s, he's in his late 40s, he's now in his early 50s, and he'd have the whole, oh, granddad, oh, you're getting a bit too old for this shit jokes... And then he just go ahead and do it anyway because he could play that part. Mm-hmm. And you have a disconnect here where you have the I'm too old for this, ha ha, isn't it funny? But then I'm going to go ahead and do it. And then you realise that he's a pensioner, so he can't yeah. go ahead and do it. And and the there, there have been films in the past where they've had like um, the L generation doing films like, films like Space Cowboys. Which not not a great film is about these old retired astronauts and coming back and trying to save NASA basically, and it's all about that. But it's done well and here. They, they they're trying to make it out that he's still still this young fit adventure, which he clearly isn't. And it just felt like they no one can turn to Harrison and go, "Ah, Harrison, you're in your seventies. Yeah, you've got to step down and either not be indie." Or be a different indie, be a different sort of indie. But then at the same time, moving to spoiler territory here, right at the end, there was a moment in which he felt they were going to try and hand the mantle over to, to Shire's character. Mm. Uh, with a hat coming towards him. And it's taken from Harrison Ford. And it's just like, that, that, that is the exact problem 
of this film is that yeah. Harrison can't let it go and Spielberg who has moved on greatly in his film life and his real life since the Indiana Jones films he's, everyone knows of his obsession with aliens and all that kind of thing and suddenly that's all brought back into this film but I think that the if you want the, the crux of why this film doesn't work and the nugget of why this film falls apart it's about realism now I think if we look at the earlier films the first three films Whilst, yes, we are dealing with, you know, supernatural forces and we're dealing with immortality and that kind of thing, but a lot of it was based in realism. Hmm. So there may be a a supernatural element to it, a hyper-realist element to it. So you've got you know, the cup, the grail, that kind of thing. But the journey to get to them is real, he says, with inverted commas, within a film format reality. So, you know, he could jump off normal height things. He could fight, but the fights were like real men would fight you know who were this kind of lives they drove bikes they you know everything felt like when in in temple of doom when they cut the um the bridge and the other clone that felt like it was a real event they felt tangible they felt textured mm. whereas in this you've got but it seems like the the ant attack the driving through the jungle none of these things felt like reality Yes. It felt like the director and the producers had got all these tools to do all these things, but none of it felt like reality. And mm. that's why I think it didn't connect with the audience, because Indy has always felt, as you said, it felt scrappy. This isn't a superhero film. This is a scrappy adventurer um, out there. And this time didn't. Mm. So you, you have, I mean, to take, take that even further, the the narrative of the sort of meta narrative of indie success is the re- the way in which reality can overcome things and you have the swordsman doing the elaborate swirl in the first film and he goes oh, I'll just shoot you which for, i mean there there are there are motivations behind that there were other things driving why Harrison Ford did that but that is sort of a microcosm of the whole film because the whole film is about Indiana Jones seeing something fancy and going, well, I'm just going to wing it. And that's mm. his his motto throughout the films. And even they, they try and throw to it here and they don't do it very well. But someone says, what are you going to do? And he says, oh, I don't know, I'll, think, I'll work it out. Or I'll think it up as I go along. Or we'll see, I haven't got a plan. And that's the mm. whole thing with Indy. He doesn't have a plan, but in the end through sheer force of reality, through sheer force of him being a real, tangible character, he succeeds. And that's what you don't get in this film. This film, I mean, I made a note here towards the end, when when Ox figures something out, um, Indy says, oh, you figured it out in your cell, didn't you? And it's, there's an awful lot of exposition in this. There's so mm. much talking and telling you what has just happened or what the, the motivation behind the character's actions. But Indy says in the middle of this exposition, oh, you figured out in your cell, didn't you? And I didn't genuinely didn't know what he'd figured out because it made no sense. It made no sense that, it, oh, he'd, he'd figured out that... There, what did he figure out? There, there was a spaceship buried underground... He had to mm. knock, knock the sides off a temple. I'm being, I don't care about spoilers here because, to be honest, don't bother if you haven't seen it. No. It just, no, it, it, 
it made no sense. There's a bit in which, you know, that they, they've, you know, I was with my wife, um, there's a scene in which they come to the Farn Temple and all these, I assume, Mayans jump out of the walls hmm. to, to, to chase Indy and the, and the rest of them. And my wife went, how long have they been there? Have they been there 2,000 years hiding in the walls? That made no sense. And then, then when they get all, all surrounded, Indy goes to Otto and goes, well, you've been here before, how do you get out of this? And he pulls up the the gold, the um, crystal skull, and uses it to ward off the um, the locals. But that makes no sense because actually, on his way over to get that the first time, he didn't have that. They're bringing it back currently. And also, in in that moment when they were running through the temple, the crystal skull was in his bag. They should have been mm. worn off already. It's not like it, it's a lead lined bag and he pulled it out and suddenly they could see it. They could feel its mm. presence. It just the film makes huge leaps of reasoning, and it do, I think that we've talked about this previously on about on good sequels and how to be a, a good part of a franchise. And I think this film grabbed the wrong bits mm. from the franchise, and they it seems that they thought, well, you know, it's about India having adventure. They've brought back Marion Ravenwood. It's about having an interesting bad guy, and it's not about any of these things. It's about this the realism of this plucky adventurer. And on top of this, you've got this bizarre retconning of Indy's history, in which he was part of the OSSS, or OSS, and part of the war effort, and he was a spy. And it's like, well, where was that for the three films we've just missed? In, in fairness you know, to them, they, those films were before the war. Oh, I agree, but it, so, but so idea, maybe, the, maybe he became a spy in 1939. And, <laughs> and, and it, just, it just feels like that it, it just dropped in with no reason. You know, there's no reasoning <laughs> behind it, and it's just yeah. like you didn't need to do that. Like, like why did you have this random scene which is like, and that this is ignoring the elephant in the room, which is the freaking fridge. <laughs> yes, um, in which you know, indie ends up in this slice of Americana, this fake town, and survives in a fridge. Why? And, Why is there that town? What has he done? Well, Why has he been put there? Well, I mean, that, that bit I can explain to you. Okay, because go for it. What, what they did is they set up fake towns for nuclear testing. Yes. So they could put cameras in the town to see how buildings reacted and that stuff to testing. Fine. I, see. I get that. Right. that. That was a real-world thing, but the idea of Indy is that he's not... About Americana, no. You know, Indy. You had a few scenes in the museum, but it's all about him exploring and, you know, going out there into the wider world and a bit about being the the white man lost in a foreign country. And then you've got Indy in his full get, the full get up, the full adventure and get up, running around this neon coloured fifties town, and it just it just did not work for me at all. And then you've got these terrified. CGI gophers that throw him for some reason, and it just felt like it was r- ideas run amok, and there was no one going. Hang on, guys, what's this about? Mm. Yeah, um, it just for me it missed the mark on every level. And as as you said before, we even started this um, the, the 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 record here. Everybody in this film, everybody involved in the film, is better than this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It feels like 
this film is, and this is something else that you said before we started, but it, it's not better than the sum of its parts. It's exactly the opposite. It's mm. let's take a load of good people who have the potential to do good things, bring them all together and see what we get. Well, what you get is an awful mess. It's not good, guys. It's not good. I, I, I kind of hate to end this series in which we've kind of watched three classic films, shall we say, on such a low note, but uh, I blame Spielberg. Yeah, it's, it's not great. Although, I mean, the the last thing I, and I did write down a, a, a note about the Shia LaBeouf and the hat and Harrison Ford taking it and, and that being a metaphor for Harrison Ford being unable to let go of this. And I, I wondered whether... Well, they, they say they're doing a fifth film. Like, surely... I mean, Harrison Ford is now 76. They... I mean, and the film will not be out till next year at the earliest. So he'll be 77, 78 by the time mm. it's, it's shot, maybe. Um, he cannot keep doing this and they shouldn't let him keep doing this so no what do you think it will be for the fifth one are they going to say Charlotte Burt the the thing what they've done is they've taken someone who is actually maybe he maybe now he's too big a star to think about doing it but maybe he should what do you think are they going to I, I think I think I mean this we'll we, we talk in the future but the idea of remakes and the world of remakes but I think it's just time to let this one go, to let these three, let the three films be what they were, which is, you know, no one could play indie but Harrison. I completely accept that. You couldn't have an indie play but anyone else. Mm. If you want to make, you know, a rip-roaring adventure film, do it. Throw Chris Pratt in there. He'd be brilliant at it. But don't remake this again with someone else and try and mm. bring it back because, you know, as you highlighted in the, in the week we talked about Temple of Doom these films whilst being classics have in some ways aged badly there, there is the inherent colonialism and inherent racist undertones to the idea of a white man and going abroad to fix the problems of what is portrayed as a more primitive race and that there is an inherent badness to that mm. especially a film that's made today and with a historical view, you can look back at Indian game, you know what, made in the time, la la la, whatever, whilst, as you as you clearly pointed out with Temple of Doom, it, it is just a strange racism. We can not excuse it, but we can kind of go, well, product of the time. Yeah. Pre- appreciate it for that. Made today, you can't do that. You know, it's notable that this film doesn't feature really any indigenous people yeah. of the area, and those that they do are clearly unzed zombie, uh, undead zombies living in the walls of a, of a temple we don't see any indigenous people because it can't do that these days I think it's just time to move on let it die mm. I agree with you and sadly I think that Hollywood won't and nope. we will see in Indiana Jones 5 before 2020 I, I don't doubt you're right so save us then with some recommendations so, despite the, the, the film, as you did say, everyone involved in it can be better. So, I'm going to run with probably one of the most contentious elements of the film, which is the inclusion of Shire the Beef, the Boof, um, who 
has made some interesting films of his career and now appears to be making some very interesting side steps into performance art and all that kind of thing. Mm. But I want to talk about one of his very early films, 2003, the film Holds, in which Shire plays a young man, a wrongfully convicted boy, who's sent to a de- brutal desert camp, um, who, which is run by a, sort of a brutal overseer where he spends his days digging holes in the desert. It is part um, boy's own adventure, part Matilda, part Full Metal Jacket. It is very funny, it's full of great child actors, um, and if you're looking for something for that kind of market, that early teens market, it is well worth watching. It is. The book on which it's based is, or was until this year, and the fact that it is no more is the fault of Michael go but don't get me started on education um it was <laughs> it was a staple text in Kise's free learning in this country um mm. and you can tell why because like you said it does have elements of boys own adventure in it but it also has elements of understanding other cultures and how to behave or not to behave as a teenager and it's just it's like you said it's it's a really it's a really fun film so that was my first revision. Secondly, the writer of Inaya and the Christmas Crystal Soul, who for whom I lay a lot of the blame for the film, has also written some good films. So right. I'm going to bring one of those, and this is the 1992 film Death Becomes Her, starring Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, Goldie Hawn. Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn are two love rivals, I suppose, um, who are vying for the affections of Bruce Willis, who is a completely play-against-type, dowdy plastic surgeon. And they learn of the secret immortality, shall we say. And the increasingly bizarre adventure they get up to as they're immortal to try and win over the love of Bruce Willis. It's funny, it's horrific at times, it has some amazing effects in it, and I think seeing these three actors... Do some of the some of the great work, especially Bruce Willis playing against type. It's one that a lot of people haven't seen or forget about. So I'm here waving the flag for it. Mm. Great film. If there was a period in the late nineties when you couldn't go a weekend without seeing Death Becomes Her on on the TV, it was a staple of terrestrial TV, mm-hmm. and for good reason. It's brilliant, great film. Um, my recommendations, similar to yours, um, although thankfully I haven't gone for either of yours, um, they're two much better films by the same actors, by actors from King Crystal Skull. Um, and the first one is someone who I've got a lot of time for and who I've mentioned already as the standout performance of this mess. Uh, it's John Hurt. And I just don't understand what he was doing in this film. And for my recommendation, I would go back to John Hurt in a much better Alien film. And it's 1979's Alien. Doesn't really need any election. No, I don't think so. So I was... My other recommendation is a film that Kate Blanchard was in. And it's a 2006 film, Babel. Now... I know a lot of people were quite sniffy about this, and 
critical reception I think was mixed in some quarters um, certain people had I, I don't know it's not a film I've, I've asked Rob about but I have a feeling he may have a different opinion to me about this film um, but it was a film I loved and I saw it at the time in the cinema and it's one I'd, I'd like to watch again it's Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt is it Brad Pitt? Was yep. um, and there were lots of things to like about the film. I really enjoyed. It. I I would actually join you in that. I I think I I have seen it once, and I remember it not getting a lot of nice reviews about the film. But myself, I rather enjoyed it. Good, very good. Next week, Sam. Next week, yes, we're moving on with our in our franchises series, our series of series. Um, and the, the next franchise we're going to be looking at is the Jason Bourne